Well, there she was, exhausted but electrified, lying in bed with her eyes open, reflecting on everything she'd experienced that day. You know those days where you're so tired you actually can't sleep? Well, that was her. What a roller coaster this had been. She's laying there next to her husband who long ago fell asleep. He fell asleep pretty quickly most of the time. And she was so proud of him. When she met him, she knew this was an amazing guy. He was bold and he was courageous and he was going places. But she had never imagined she'd see what she saw that day. She sat there reflecting on how earlier that day he had been thundering away like a man possessed. And thousands of people listened to him and hung on every word and responded to what he said. Oh, what a ride. And it wasn't that long ago where she'd laid in that same bed with her eyes wide open, wondering if he was going to make it through. See, when your bold, courageous man falls apart, you feel really helpless as a wife. And yet this bold guy who'd had this great nickname, she liked to tease him about it, ooh, Mr. Rock, you're so tough. When he came to her, dashed into pieces, a puddle of shame and embarrassment and regret because he'd turned his back on his best friend. She wondered, is he even going to make it out of this? And so there she was on the night of this incredible thing, the birth of the church, thousands of people turning in repentance and faith, and she thought, how did this happen? And then it popped in her head, oh yeah, it was that morning on the beach. That's how this happened. And so today, that's what we're going to look at together, is we're going to look at the morning on the beach the morning that turned the apostle Peter from being a total failure to being a Pentecost preacher, standing there at the temple uh, just weeks after Jesus had risen from the dead, thundering away, possessed by the Spirit, and thousands of people came to faith. How did that happen? That's what we're looking at today, the morning on the beach. And this is a missing piece. See, I had often thought that what turned Peter from being a failure to a, a profound leader in the church was the resurrection of Jesus. And for sure, without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no way Peter becomes the leader of the church. But Jesus has already revealed himself to Peter in the Gospel of John up to this point. And yet, Peter's not getting out there and having it seem to change his life. He's gone fishing. People like to critique Peter for going fishing. I don't know that there's anything wrong. What do you do when you're not sure what else to do? You do what you've always done. He had to feed his family, so he's out fishing. And it's this morning on the beach. It's this connection with Jesus that changes everything. Now, we've got to remember Jesus, uh, the, way, the way, I'm sorry, not, not Jesus, Peter's failure. I mean, he has been profoundly failing up to this point in the book. In John 13, he had said, even if everybody rejects you, I won't. I'll lay down my life for you. If they all fall away, I won't. And then there he was in John chapter 18, standing by a charcoal fire, warming himself as a servant girl says, you're one of his friends, aren't you? And he says, 
No, I never knew him. And the rooster crows. We're about to finish the Gospel of John. Some of you thought, man, I can't believe we're ever going to get there. And so uh, we'll we'll finish next week in the Gospel of John, then we'll uh, do Easter, and then we'll start John over again. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Just joking about that. Uh, After Easter, we're going to do the book of Colossians. And uh, it's interesting because Jesus actually is raised to glory here in John at the end. And then Colossians is really a a letter of the Apostle Paul saying, hey, if Jesus is as glorious as he is, what does that mean for us? So I think it'll be a good thing to look at. But before we finish, we need to reflect on this morning on the beach. Peter had failed. He'd blown it. He'd messed it up. He'd screwed it up. You could say he'd hit rock bottom. What about you? What do you do when you mess it up again? What happens when you do the thing that you swore, I'd never do that, and I've been telling myself for years I'd never do that, and I did it? What do you do when your sin is exposed for all to see, and you're ashamed, and you're embarrassed, and all the moxie and all the faith and all the courage that it looked like you'd had is exposed as like, no, you're actually really a sinner. What do you do with that? Where do you go when you hit rock bottom? And so that's why the title of today's message is After You Hit Rock Bottom. (laughs) After You Hit Rock Bottom. Now this is one of my favorite, favorite passages. I just, I've been praying, Lord, oh, help help how much I love this to come through (laughs) as I preach it. I I don't know if it can. Um, But part of the reason is there's a message some years ago I heard by a, a guy named Zach Eswine about this, and it just really touched me in a significant way. And so, uh, there'll be some S wine sneaking in here. I'm not going to quote it all. It's just so shaped how I see this text, but it's an incredible story after you hit rock bottom. Now here's what we're not doing is we're not saying that Peter's experience here in John chapter 21 is the formula. We're not saying that the things exactly that happened to Peter are exactly what is going to happen to you after you blow it. But what I want to tell you today, some of you, you think I've blown it. I've made a mess. I've hit rock bottom. I can't, I can't come back from this. I've been exposed. I've been revealed. And if you don't feel like that now, someday you will. And so I'm not here to say, now here's the formula for how to get back on track. What I want to do is take the story of Peter and say, let's look at this and see Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart for Peter and Jesus' heart for you, Jesus' heart for me after we blow it. Let's pray and invite the Lord to speak to us. Father, we do invite you to speak now by your spirit. God, we think about Peter, we think about his incredible failures, and then the incredible courage and success of Pentecost, and we go, how did that happen? And it happened because of your tender, restorative care. And God, I pray that as we look at that, that we'd see your heart, that we'd see your heart for us as people who sin and people who suffer and people who do what we said we wouldn't do and we do it again and our sin gets exposed and we feel like we just want to run from you. God, would you use this story to help us not run from you, but to run to you? Show us your heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So they're out there fishing. Jesus says, In verse uh, 5, children, do you have any fish? Really, that word could be lads. Hey, guys, 
You got any fish? And uh, they'd been out fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. He says, why don't you try this side? And they try that side, huge haul of fish. They come to the shore. They realize it's Jesus. Oh, wow, they have breakfast. And Jesus and, and Peter have this conversation. As we think about this story, I want us to notice a few things. The first thing to notice is this, is that Jesus knows the real Peter. Jesus knows the real Peter. Jesus knows the real you. Jesus knows all that Peter's been through. Jesus knows the highs and the lows. And what is just absolutely brilliant about this story is how what Jesus does is he recreates these moments that Peter and him have had together. If you're familiar with the gospel stories, maybe you caught these. If you're not familiar, that's okay. But I want to help you see that what Jesus is doing is not just a bunch of random stuff. He's, he's creating the highlight and the low light reel. Just like in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus had seen these disciples, this was early on as he was beginning to call them to follow him, he saw these disciples. They'd been out all night fishing, right? Fishermen, they fish at night so that you can have the catch and then take it to market in the morning. And in Luke chapter 5, uh, the same thing had happened. They hadn't caught anything. And he called out and he said, hey, have you guys tried this side? And they're like, what is this Yahoo on the shore doing? But sometimes people on the shore could actually have an angle where maybe they'd see where something was happening. So they say, okay, we'll do it. And they throw it over, they throw the nets overboard. And the fi- there's so many fish, actually the boat begin to sink. And so Jesus recreates that moment. And then notice they get, uh, they realize it's the Lord. And, and what, is, what does Peter do? Verse 7, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Now besides the fact that most of us would not go, let's put on my clothes to jump in the water, right? Like, Forget that. What's happening? Peter has this thing about seeing Jesus and leaving the boat. Because it was in Matthew 14 when Jesus was walking on the water and they realized it's the Lord. And Peter gets out of the boat and goes to him. They get to the shore and what is waiting for them on the shore? Fish and bread. Fish and bread. Fish and bread. If you were one of the people who had tried to look out over a multitude of thousands and thousands of people and say, they're hungry, we need something to give them, and a little kid came to you with his Transformers lunchbox and said, I've got a a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and you said, well, I don't know how this is going to work, and you hand it to Jesus, and the next thing you know, you're walking around with bushels collecting all the leftover pieces. I don't think you'd ever think about fish and bread around Jesus the same way. So here he come. There's fish. There's bread. And there's another thing. In verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire. There's only two places in John's gospel where it mentions a charcoal fire. The one when Peter stood there warming himself by a, John says, charcoal fire. You know how a charcoal fire smells? So Peter walks up and surely he must have smelled that smell and been reminded of that moment. What are your highs and lows? What have you been through with the Lord? He knows it. He's in on it. He's not surprised by it. He's thrilled by the highlights and he's 
grieved by the lowlights, but he's with us in all of it. He knows the real Peter. He knows what he's been through, and he knows who he is. Notice when they begin to talk after breakfast, three times Jesus says, Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. The last time we saw Peter be called Simon, son of John, was back in John chapter 1, verse 42, when Jesus was calling Peter to himself, and he said, Simon, son of John, from now on you'll be called Cephas. And after that, through the rest of the book, he's Peter, he's Peter, or he's Simon Peter. And now, Simon, son of John. You know, my wife, uh, most often her nickname for me is Babe. You know, you have yours in your home, maybe honey or hun or sweetie or sugar pie or, you know, <laughs> sweet cakes. I don't know what you like to do, you know, schmoopy, right, some of you. Uh. But, but so, so a lot of the time it's, uh, hey, babe, babe, hey, babe, 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 Luke. gets my attention. <laughs> and I might not be in trouble, but it's like, okay. Peter, 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 Simon, son of John. Who are you? And who were you when the Lord first called you? When the Lord first said, I want you I want to know you. I want to forgive you. I want to walk with you. Who are you? Who were you before you had it all together? Who were you before you had to have all the answers? Who were you before you had to be somebody important? Simon, son of John. You know, before I was Pastor Luke, which is a term often of respect and endearment. I don't insist on being called that. I, I like to be just called Luke. Some of you like to call me Pastor Luke, and I won't correct you. That's fine. But before I was Pastor Luke, before I stood on a stage, I was Luke, son of Don. And I was 17 years old, experiencing the grace of Christ to someone who'd been faking it, someone who'd been going through the motions and the Lord got me. And someday I, I won't be Pastor Luke anymore. I'll hand the keys to someone else. But I'll still be Luke, son of Don. Who are you? Where are you from? When you're not trying to be something, when you don't feel the need to pretend, when you're just who you are, who are you? Here's what I want to tell you. The Lord knows you, and he knows Peter. And when we blow it, we're afraid because we think, oh, he knows me. And what this story tells us is, no, we should be comforted because he knows me. Here's the second thing to notice in this story is that Jesus keeps caring and he keeps providing. 
You might miss this detail in verse 9, but it turns out, despite their huge catch, guess what? Jesus didn't need their fish. Because in verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. Where did he get those fish? How did he do that? Now, he goes ahead and says, hey, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Well, we'll put that on the fire too. But the point's pretty clear. Jesus is still the provider. This, the, the burden's now not on Peter to provide the fish and the bread. It's on the Lord. It's still his. And this is the care. This is the tenderness. This is the provision of God that he meets their tiredness after a long night. And he meets their exhaustion. And he meets their failure with a hot breakfast. Now, frankly, fish for breakfast... No thanks. But this is the care of Jesus. They're tired, and he meets them in that. And he cares, and he provides. Are you tired? You tired? Tired physically, tired emotionally. There's times when Molly and I will be kind of getting ready for something, and depending on what it is, we, we might ask each other, hey, do we have to be on tonight? You remember that question? Do we have to be on tonight? Or can we just kind of chill? You don't have to be on for Jesus. Jesus is taking care of you. And I just wonder, what if Jesus meant it when he said what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What if he meant it? He provides for Peter. He cares for Peter. He's tender with Peter. He keeps caring. He keeps providing. The next thing we need to just notice is that Jesus arranges a full restoration. No part is left unturned. It's a public restoration. It's done in front of the disciples. They, they eat, and I just have to kind of wonder uh, while they're eating in verses you know, 12 to 14, like what are they talking about? There's a bit of an elephant, two elephants in the room. One is like, you were dead a little bit ago. What's, let's talk about that, right? And the other one is, and this guy stinks. Peter, he totally turned his back on you. Like, what do you do with this? Right, so you just wonder, what's this breakfast like? But then it says in verse 15, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and this appears to be in front of everybody. This is not like, hey, let's go have a talk. I think next week's passage is actually that, him saying, hey, come, come, Let's go talk privately. But here, this is in front of everybody. Now, that's key because Jesus sinned in front of everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> Clear. Jesus did not sin. Jesus did not sin. Right? Viral moment. Pastor says Jesus sinned. No, he didn't. He didn't sin. Peter sinned, and Peter sinned in front of everyone. Right? Think about this. If you're Bartholomew, and you overhear Peter going, if all these people turn away, and they probably will, I won't. Whoa, you're Thomas. You're Andrew. What do you do? Whoa. So, so Peter sins in front of the whole group, and so what does Jesus do? He allows him to be restored in front of the whole group. There's times, you know, um, our family, a lot of times on the weekends, we'll go and do kind of a family workout, and oftentimes it ends in someone crying and in me having to repent. Uh, 
And what I realized is like when I sin against one of my kids, I need to apologize to them individually. When I sin to one of my kids in front of the whole family, I need to repent to them individually and in front of the whole family. Because it's like, well, did, did that get dealt with? Right, if you sin in front of people against an individual, you don't just have a responsibility with that individual, you have a responsibility with the whole group. And so Jesus arranges for this. He arranges not just for Peter to feel good about his relationship with God, but about everyone else to feel good about Peter's relationship with Jesus. It's a public restoration. It's also a revelatory restoration. It's, it's revelatory in that it reveals kind of how Peter actually has changed. Uh, look at what it says in verse 15. This is so interesting. It says, uh, when, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and there's three ways to think about that question. One way is to say, do you love me more than this fishing? Some people have taken it that way. Other people say, do you love me more than these means, do you love me more than you love these other people. That's one way possibly to take it. I think the most likely way is he's saying, do you love me more than these other people love me? Because what has Peter always been saying? Implicitly, I love you more than they do. And so here it is, here's the chance. In front of everybody, Jesus goes, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You love me more than they do? And what does Peter say? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. No bragging, no boasting, no putting himself above. He's humbled. He's repentant. He realizes, you know what, this comparison game, this who has more faith and more strength and more love and more power, it's stupid. Lord, I love you. And so it's revelatory. It reveals to Peter, and I think it reveals to the group, hey, Peter's a different person. This restoration is also complete. There were three denials, and there's three opportunities to affirm his love. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, sometimes people uh, and scholars will get into this because in this passage, uh, Jesus and Peter sometimes use different words for love. And if you know kind of the New Testament Greek, there's different words. There's agape and phileo, and, and they kind of use these words. I, my best understanding as I've studied this is that it's interchangeable and it's not meant to sort of mean something. The, the key point is not the words he uses. The key point is the number of times he does it. Peter had denied Jesus three times, and so Jesus says, listen, man, I know this stings. I know this hurts. I know that every time I ask you this question, it, it's painful, but wounds from a friend can be trusted, and it is for your full restoration. I'm going to ask you three times, do you love me? And he does. He does love him. And this restoration is not just public, not just revelatory, not just complete. It's also commissioning. Notice, each time, Jesus doesn't say, do you love me? And he says, yes. And he says, well, good. Great. I'm glad to hear that. That's a relief. I wondered. He doesn't say that. What does he do? He gives him a commission. He gives him a job to do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. And notice, he doesn't just give him a job to do. He says, 
By the way, because Jesus is the great shepherd, he says, I want you to help me. Come alongside me. Come accomplish my work. This is a full restoration. This is a commission. This is you have a job to do. You are not just forgiven and kind of back to zero and you better get to work and prove yourself. This is you're forgiven and you're launched into a new life of usefulness and a new life of service and a new life of blessing. Do you think that the Lord is done with you? Listen, when you, when you hit rock bottom, you do. You think he could never use someone like me. I've been such a hypocrite. I've been such a phony. I've been such a sinner. I've been such a loser. I've hurt so many people. Listen, again, I'm not telling you that, that your story is exactly like, like Peter's. But what I am telling you is that the heart of Jesus restored Peter. And he might want to restore you. Jesus knows the real Peter. He keeps caring and providing. He arranges a full restoration. And finally, notice this, that Jesus gives a scary promise. There's some scary promises in the Bible. And Peter gets one from Jesus. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. That phrase, especially you will stretch out your hands, is this kind of idiom for you'll be crucified. This is what Jesus is doing. He goes, hey, Peter, uh, yeah, um, remember how you kept saying to everybody that you were going to die for me? Well, you are. That's going to happen. You're going to be crucified. Tradition holds, it's hard to verify, tradition holds that Peter eventually was crucified and that he said he didn't feel like he deserved to be crucified right side up like Jesus, so they crucified him upside down. I don't know if that's true. Tradition says that. But, but this, is, this is a promise for Peter. And I think there's an instance, because I hear that and I'm like, well, dang, that stinks. I mean, think about this. You've got to walk through your whole life with this. Right, like, is today the day? Is this gonna happen now? Right, I have to wonder if, right, because when you get to the book of Acts, you know, there's Pentecost, and then in Acts chapter three, they heal a man who was lame, and it's this huge commotion, and then there they are, just weeks removed from the, the, the judgment of Jesus before the same council, and J Peter and John are there, and they're preaching boldly, and the people, and the, the leaders say, hey, you gotta quit talking about that, and like, sorry, we're gonna obey God rather than man, we're not gonna quit talking about it, and and you have to think at that point, Peter, what gave him the courage is, is this moment. Like, well, Jesus told me, I guess it's happening now. And then it doesn't happen. Instead, they just get imprisoned and they get whipped and they get beaten and they get rebuked. And here's what it says in Acts 5. It says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Wow. Peter had to go, okay, Lord, that wasn't it. I thought maybe that was the thing you told me about. That wasn't it. But thank you that you counted me worthy to suffer for you. Wow. Yeah, and I don't think any of us should take that 
therefore we're all going to be crucified. But you do wonder in light of what Jesus has been saying if part of what is happening is Jesus is calling all of us to die to ourselves and to follow him. So in light of all this, let me ask you again, what about you? When you fail, when you, when you screw it all up, when it's all coming around your shoulders and it's like, I, I, I don't know what to do, what about you? I, I hope you're encouraged by the heart of Jesus. He sees you and he knows you and he's not surprised. And at your best and at your worst, he's all in. He's not, he's not waiting like, all right, I'm out. Now, this is very hard for us to believe because a lot of us have been in relationships. A lot of us grew up in households where it was so volatile and it was so uh, eggshells. And at any given moment, I'm out. He's not like that. He is all in. He's making breakfast. He's leaning close. He's inviting you in. He's saying, I want you. I know who you are. I know who you were when I first called you, and I'm in. And what about this? Jesus isn't finished with you and me. I mean, isn't that amazing? I just think like, gosh, how, how does that happen? Because I know me. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm still on your team. I'm still going to use you. I mean, you're on my team, but, but we're together. It's amazing. I just look at this whole story and I go, man, Jesus is amazing. So here's one final thought. You know, the roosters didn't leave Israel. And every morning, whether he was walking through Jerusalem or up by Galilee, every morning, what did Peter have to hear? The roosters didn't leave. And every time, he had to hear it and remember his very worst moment. And I want to tell you, sometimes when you really hit rock bottom, when you really mess it up, it creates a situation where you can't just forget about it. And sometimes the shame and the regret comes up in a fresh way, in a fresh wave, and you're kind of plunged back into discouragement. Every day, Peter had to hear the roosters crow. And what kept him going? It was that morning on the beach. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, I know that you do. Feed my sheep. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what mercy, what grace, what kindness. Lord, you are holy and righteous and blameless. God, when your holiness is revealed, everyone gets on the floor, everyone collapses in fear, and yet here you are revealing yourself to us in Jesus as a tender provider, restorer. 
And God, when we really mess it all up, we're, we're so afraid. And in some ways we should be because you're a holy God. And yet, Lord, you've shown us your heart. If we want to see, God, who you are, we look to the Son. And we've seen your heart and we've seen your affection. We've seen your care. And we've experienced that you know us and you love us and you restore and forgive us. And so, Father, I pray that no one here today under the sound of my voice would hear anything we've said and feel discouraged or feel hopeless or feel like it's too late or they're too far gone. God, would we experience in a fresh way the joy of our salvation, the delight that you know us and you love us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.